0: Craig Hoffman. It's another
1: non traditional version of The Hoffman Show here on Hoffmanshow.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. I am Craig Hoffman. In case you are clicking off a link from Coach Dave Love of the Orlando Magic or Kaylee Brent, uh, media personality out in LA. Uh, This is a basketball roundtable edition. I just got done talking with Kaylee and Dave, and you'll hear that conversation in a minute, but I want to just introduce everybody uh, on the front end here and kind of why. We wanted to do this. I mean, it started actually off with a tweet from Dave. Dave was like, I got to start doing some podcasts. And Kaylee tweeted me, and was like, yo, make it happen. And so we made it happen. Kaylee is a, as I said, a media personality. She's worked for Fox Sports some. She's done some stuff at ESPN, Sports Nation. Um, Just a really, really sharp girl who was simultaneously in college at BC, a cheerleader and someone who worked in the basketball film room. So when it comes to hoops, like she knows her stuff because she's been in the film rooms, She's been um, on a part of the brain trusts of teams at a major level. Um, she now, on Twitter, at Kaylee Brandt, she drops that knowledge all the time on there. Um, and, and you know, follow her, you get smarter about the game. She really understands the X's and O's of it all. And uh, so that's Kaylee's kind of background. Dave, as uh, he'll talk about in a second, with his background... Just someone who kind of fell into coaching and is not an X's and O's guy. I mean, obviously he's going to understand that on some level, um, but he is really a skill development specialist um, with a focus on shooting and the work he's done and the work that he still has to do with the Orlando Magic is uh, is really impressive. I mean, guys like Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton, um, they drafted those guys in Orlando knowing that they were going to have to improve offensively, and Dave's been a huge part of them doing that. The Magic started off great last year, and I I really expect them to make another big leap this year um, as they grow their offensive potential, um, and obviously they're going to bring in a new coaching staff as well after Scott Skiles stepped down. So um, Dave's still in Orlando uh, and does a great job there, and so people uh, who are not familiar with me, like, I'm a guy who's grown up playing basketball and, and has just loved the game. You know, when I was in college, uh, before I went to Syracuse, which is where I graduated from, I went to Middle Tennessee State and I used to go to basketball practice every single day, both men's and women's. They had uh, a men's program that was really coming into its own. Obviously, this year they had their best year ever with that huge upset of Michigan State. That ruined my bracket uh, in March of Madness, Um, but their women's team was a a really highly competitive NCAA tournament level team too, and so I learned a lot about both skill development and X's and O's, um, and kind of what it takes to compete at the Division I level uh, by going to those practices. So um, someone I've I've taken a lot of time to try to learn about the game. I think that being in the media, you have that responsibility, and kind of all of these things and more we'll talk about, and so that's enough introduction. Here's the chat. Uh, Kaylee Brandt. Coach Dave Love and me in a basketball and media, really, roundtable.
0: Craig Hoffman.
1: So I want to start this conversation with kind of establishing everyone's backgrounds. I think, uh, you know, obviously depending on whose who's Twitter feed you click this link on, you know a little bit about the person already but Dave let's start with you like your background is interesting because you're a coach but uh, we were just talking you know a few seconds ago you said you're you're not your traditional basketball coach so how did you get into what you're doing and, and what is it that you do
0: I am a, uh, a shooting coach at the NBA level and uh, and I work almost exclusively with players on shooting mechanics and uh, you get a lot of other trainers or uh, coaches out there that are a lot more general and that's great. Uh, whereas I feel my uh, my strengths are in seeing flaws within shooting mechanics and helping players correct those flaws and uh, with the focus on just being able to make more shots
1: and as a player um like did you play growing up what what levels did you play at and you know were you i think it's always funny because you know some people are like oh these guys don't need whatever kind of coaching and i'm like you know tiger woods had a swing coach his entire career so like you know did you play were you always a shooter or is this just a special eye that you found that you have in helping others with that specific skill
0: yeah i I grew up a a little bit both of those i i grew up playing and uh was a decent player at the high school level. Um, didn't re- I grew up in Canada. I still live in Canada. And uh, I was a very average high school basketball player who could shoot and loved the game and played the game a lot. And But realistically, I knew I wasn't going on beyond uh, high school, even though that was a dream. It wasn't really a goal. Uh, so when the... High school career came to an end. I kind of spent a couple of years really away from the game and then got into coaching, and I had met somebody in my in my late teen years who became my mentor and taught me about the art of shooting a basketball or the science of shooting a basketball and started to use that information and almost fell into a coaching career where really was it started off as a a little side project that I thought would be fun. And then it became a side project that made some money. And then it became, uh, one of two sources of income and then eventually the predominant source of my, my income. So, uh, not the traditional route by any stretch of the imagination.
1: No, definitely not. Kaylee, uh, for, you know, your level of basketball, expertise, certainly not a traditional route. Cause I don't know for a female bluntly that there is a traditional route to kind of get to where you are in terms of notoriety and people respecting your opinion on the game, which is I think more of a referendum on society than anything else. But, but you've ach- attained a level of respect and basketball opinion that uh, most females, especially that aren't, you know, former college or WNBA players have. So how did you get there? I know that could be a very long answer, but as, as efficiently as you can.
2: Right, yeah, I'll be succinct. So I think it just comes with, like, a lot of people get trumped by this, uh, not to use the word trump, but, <laughs> but uh, they, they get to, uh, they get kind of scared of what the media is going, like, how it's going to pigeonhole them and, and whatever. But, you know, what i found is what you get, you kind of, what you give, you get. So if you put out there knowledgeable banter about the game or you really know what you're talking about eventually people are going to start to listen to you and believe you like we've done enough talking about how women are pigeonholed and how blah 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 and we could you know go on and on about the shortcomings of our media and our current society but to be honest like if you just put it out into the universe i i don't get hate on social media i don't get oh you're a girl shut up I, i've never experienced that even once, to be honest with you. So um, I really just believe it's you—you you attract the kind, the kind of attention that you put out there, and um, it's not as hard as people make it out to seem.
0: Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I would, I would, I would agree that yeah, on a coaching standpoint as well. That uh, people ask me all the time, you know, you're not really a player, and now you're sort of a middle-aged, skinny, bald guy. Is it hard to gain? the uh, <laughs> Uh, the respect of these players. And once you can show that you you know what you're talking about, the respect comes. And Right. I don't think that's just a media thing. I think that's just life.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, no, I agree exactly. with that too. I mean, I, when I got to Dallas, the first big show I ever did was the NBA draft the year I got there. It was probably a month and a half after I got to, to Dallas. You know, here I am 23 years old in this major media market, and I'm co-anchoring our NBA draft coverage and the reason was my program director's like, look, we don't have anybody else who knows this stuff better. Like if you come in and, you know, you, you have to be humble in, in your approach and, you know, both in, in sports and team media or in sports and, and, and in the media, like there's a lot of ego. So you have to be careful in your presentation of yourself but if you just okay. stick to the knowledge of it like people will catch on and go okay this guy knows what he's talking about on this so we should probably listen to him and hopefully you know your your superiors catch on as well and go like hey we should give him more opportunities or her more opportunities to talk about this given thing or do this given thing
2: right i mean the only thing that i i would say is as a female like uh, you if you screw up, if you say something completely at a left field that's not correct, I think people come down on you a little bit harder probably because they're like, Oh well we expect oh well of course you just oh well yeah, whatever. But you know, there's really nothing if you know your stuff that you could say that that would bring people down back on you that hard, to be honest.
0: Right. Do you guys find that the uh the, probably the best advice that I ever got for my career was you don't have to say a lot, but when you say something, make sure you're right. You guys right. find that within your career, the most common mistake is uh, people talk too much in order to prove how smart they are, and it oh, proves that they, they, they prove the opposite.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. You should see my Twitter timeline. Like the, the amount of self-restraint it takes me to just not like quote tweet so many things. I'm like, why are you saying this? Yeah. <laughs> Next level.
1: Um, I think I'm, um, I don't know. I mean, I think there there certainly is some truth to that, but I think when you get into more, and obviously the talk show world that I've lived in is more opinion-based and, you know, it's gotten to a point where like, it feels like you're supposed to have a strong take on everything. And I, I that's a whole separate issue that we could dive into at another time. Um, but like that, the, the thing that bothers me a lot where we are now is like, everyone feels like they have to have the strongest take on everything. And some of this stuff that mm. people are super passionate about, Or pretend to be super passionate about, I don't have that strong of an opinion on. Like sometimes my opinion is that that's not important and I don't care. And, you know, I I think sometimes I would say definitely younger me um, probably talk too much at times and and you, you know, it comes to that balance of finding your place in your given workplace. Um, But yeah, you know, generally speaking, I think the opinion based medium. Once you get to a certain level, it feels like you can't talk enough. You just keep throwing stuff out there and people react to it. And I think that's in turn caused a lowering of the intelligence level of the rhetoric about sports, uh, which actually will eventually lead beautifully into one of the things I want to talk about from a basketball perspective. We can kind of react to that first, but then uh, I Mm -hmm. think that is a nice little transition into the first basketball thing I want to talk about.
2: Yeah, let's talk about it.
1: So here's a, here's a good example of the lowering of the intelligence level of the rhetoric, right? How many times have you guys watched coverage of the finals or coverage of the Warriors this season and heard, oh, anyone could beat Steph Curry? Oh, that, that drives I, me insane. <laughs>
2: because yeah, because I don't, <laughs> it's like,
1: it's the you, you look at a guy like LeBron and you go, he's 6'9", 260, the average kid growing up isn't, looking at LeBron going, I can do that. And the thought, like the very simple, naive thought process is like, oh, he, Steph's quote unquote only 6'3". He's, he's not a you know one of these massive giants of the NBA, 190, like he's a skinny kid. Like if you go shoot in your driveway enough, you can become Steph Curry. We all, the three of us know that, that Steph has physical and natural gifts that are far beyond anything any of us could ever dream of. But when you look at like the work ethic and things like that, like that's i think a good example of this lowering where everyone's supposed to just have something to say and like that's an incredibly stupid thing to say
0: or is it just a poor choice of words where you, the the choice of words should be i can relate to step curry or the average person can relate to step curry because the obvious gifts are more uh, relatable than LeBron James is six foot nine and two hundred and whatever pounds.
1: I just think it's it's not as it's not, as, it's not right. as simple. Like I would much rather see an analyst go, "Here's why you like. Here's what makes Steph Curry special. It's he's got this mm-hmm. supernatural hand-eye coordination." that allows him to have the handle like this, and he's also, and and you know from a training perspective, he does all of these different things that have crafted him into the current player he is over a number of years, as opposed to, like, oh, he's not 6'9", 260, but he's still great. Like, it's just so oversimplified.
2: Taylor, mm. yeah. what are your thoughts? I mean, see, I, I feel like this is, this is a you type question, because I'm not into skill development. I don't know. Um, I'm more X's and O's. I wouldn't be able to tell you what about Steph and his genetic makeup <laughs> makes him Steph. I can tell you what he's great at, what he's special at, but I... To say that anyone can be Steph Curry, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe you've got kids that are looking up to Steph because, oh, that one looks like me. Like, that's what girls do similarly to Barbie dolls, right? Like, oh, this one or this American Girl doll looks like me or whatever. Like, okay, this Steph Curry kid, that that looks like me. I'm only 16. and I'm this blah, blah, blah. Maybe I could be in the NBA, which is great. But the kind of bad effect of that, right, is you get all these kids that – are now just chucking up threes from way too deep that they don't know how to shoot yet or they're not comfortable with yet or they're not consistent with yet because they think that's how to be Steph Curry. Like, you can see the influences on the younger generation's games and the way that they're playing. Um,
0: hey, from I don't know... The, sorry, go ahead. No, go no go ahead. I, I don't know that that is anything different or anything new from what... Um, from anybody else, like going back, Will Chamberlain bought two of You could pick anybody right. and say people of that generation probably gravitated toward that great player, tried to emulate that great 100%. player. 100%.
1: But so here's and, uh, here's what I would say the difference is, though, like, especially over the last, say, 20 years, because the two other guys that, you know, I, we take LeBron out of it because he's this physical anomaly that everyone looks at and goes, he's a physical anomaly. Like with Michael and with Kobe, everyone's like, oh, their work ethic is so great. They their footwork, like they've drilled it. We've heard all these mythical stories about how much they've drilled the footwork on the turnaround jumpers and all these kinds of things. And that created a generation who w- would go in their backyard and pretend to be Michael Jordan and or Kobe Bryant and, and count down three, two, one and, and you know, hit a a fadeaway jumper and pretend that they were those guys. I don't feel like mm. we recognize with Steph the specific things that he works on. For instance, Dave, like I'm curious how much the rest of the NBA is looking at his warm up routine, where one, he doesn't like most players when they come out before a game, they start out shooting. He starts out with ball handling, and part of that is just to get a feel for the ball um, before he gets into shooting. Or the the one-legged, you know, whatever that he does, or the the hook shots and all these things that don't seem practical, but they might show up in a game. And it just creates this massive array of shots that he's capable of. And I think people look at that and like, oh, it's kind of a fun thing he does as opposed to something that he does with a purpose.
0: The ball handling stuff I don't find to be anything too terribly different from stuff that was done, uh, 20 years ago that it's evolved for sure. And, and that's just the nature of skill development. But, uh, there were people doing this sort of thing 20 years ago, probably 40 years ago. And, uh, and so I laugh when I see on social media, people talking about Steph Curry's two ball drill. Well, I knew them as Pete Maravich drills. Right. When I played yeah. 20 years ago. Um, so if they were named after Pete Maravich, I'm guessing they existed from Pete Maravich's generation, which would be another 15 years before me doing them. So right. within that, uh, and then the array of different shots, uh, just being around Steve Nash, the uh, the year that I worked with the Suns, he was doing a lot of the same stuff, and maybe there's been an evolution within it, but it's not a quantum leap from one uh, to to the other. there's There's been a small step where Steph has added a wrinkle to, to some things, and I, I find that the things that he does, if you go into the average NBA practice workout or pregame, you'll see a lot of those play, players doing similar sorts of things, even out of position. We've, we've got power forward doing two-ball dribbling stuff.
2: So, Dave, what you're seeing right now during these finals, like you know, Steph isn't. I, I mean, obviously, you're going to critique who Steph and LeBron the most out of anyone. Um, but and you've got Steph, who his numbers are kind of dipping. Whether that be from whatever injury he's playing through or whatever. What do you see in his shooting mechanics uh, in these finals? Because
0: uh,
2: it, it's it's weird. He's getting some really great looks. Some well above average looks in these finals and he's not hitting them like what what do you see with his shot or can you even tell
0: well i have opinions but i, I kind of want to avoid sharing them uh, for a, <laughs> couple of, a couple of reasons number one Steph's unbelievable and i'm watching on tv right. and uh and i understand just having done this enough that Uh, There can be a big difference between what you see on TV and what has actually happened. TV can be an optical illusion. Um, Secondly, I don't know what he's working on or what his game plan is. So for me to step in and be critical of of anything uh, would be pretty self-serving on on my part. Maybe the things that I I don't like are things that he...
2: No, welcome to the media,
0: Dave. Yeah,
1: Yeah. You, you stink at media, man. Self-serving is what you're supposed to be. At least that's what the it seems.
0: <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to avoid it as much as I possibly can. Um, but in general, they're, they're, they're simple little things. That Obviously, his hand-eye coordination, his mechanics are pretty good. But uh, I think everybody can fall into some bad habits, and especially right. over the course of a, a short seven game series that's a pretty small sample size
2: right right
1: i mean i do think i'll, I'll speculate wildly because i don't have the responsibilities that dave does and kaylee you know mm-hmm. if you if you see these things too again we are watching on tv but like one of the tells to me is how many layups he's missing this is one of the most skilled finishers around the rim in the league. And the fact that his lift seems off and he's missing way more layups than he has, you know, over the course of the past couple of years to me says that that leg isn't right. And, you know, even a small injury to a knee, if it's not at the level that he's used to for someone who's taken as many shots as Steph, if something is wrong, that could take a little bit to correct or could on any given night feel better or worse. And to me, the knee thing, like, we, I don't want to give more credence to an injury that we know about than ones that we don't. At this time of year, everyone's got something. But it seems rather plausible to me that that injury is definitely affecting his consistency.
2: Sure, sure. I mean, you you figure you don't do, not even just shooting or making the layups, but what happens before shooting, what happens before making the layup? Mm-hmm. coming off of screens. like I, Those things are, to me, what I would think with an injury – to a leg would screw up your shot because he's so mm, cautious.
1: Yeah, the footwork into it's different because he can't mm-hmm. he can't cut on the same angles and he can't come at the same speed that he's used to.
0: Right, right, right. And I he,
2: he's not one hundred percent.
0: So, and I'll, I'll jump in there and just say like I find that a lot of players uh, will go to with uh, will speak to younger players right now. If they have a bad habit, like they lean one direction uh, that is causing them to be inconsistent, a lot of it does come from, and I can say with a fair amount of accuracy, have you sprained your right ankle way more in your life than you sprained your left? And the kids will go, yeah, actually, I don't think I've ever sprained my left. I sprained my right like three times really badly. Okay, because your shot looks like a person trying to protect that right ankle, and, uh, and they've just they've done it so much and had to shoot so many shots where the right ankle doesn't feel good that it affects their mechanics and they build a bad habit, and that can happen over a, a small period of time. And I've said to uh, to players coming off injuries, like, okay, when you start to feel good, again, make sure that you undo this habit that you've you've probably developed over the last three weeks. That does happen.
1: That's really so, so,
2: Right? Isn't it? Isn't it? But to the other side of things, LeBron, right, he's he's shooting now, doing much better. What do you think? I have my my uh, opinions on why he's playing better. But what about you, Dave? Do you see anything in the positive sphere on his uh, jumper and shooting?
0: Uh, to be honest, I haven't been watching him as closely. I've watched Steph and Clay just as a fan. I. Yeah. Uh, if I'm being totally honest with you, I spend a lot of this time of year watching uh, uh, U10 and U6 soccer. Um, <laughs>
2: Ew. Oh, my God. Gross. <laughs>
0: I've got my, my job, and I work hard in my job, and then uh, we get to this time of year. And I'll, I'll watch more of the band, but uh, I've got some responsibilities as a dad and, uh, and a husband that uh, that I try and uh, put in the forefront this time of year. So I haven't watched ton <laughs> of <laughs> How dare you
2: be a father and a husband? Oh,
1: so, okay. I'm curious you know, your your yeah. thoughts on this because I think a lot of, specifically in Game Five, LeBron's success with his jumper can actually be drawn back to X's and O's.
2: Oh, 100. It's all well. You take Draymond out yep. when when LeBron has got eight feet of space in a pick and roll. He's he can be crazy. Super amped up LeBron again. He's unstoppable. But when there's no eight feet of space in the pick and roll, he can't do that. He looks less aggressive because that's not how the game works. So when they're daring him to shoot and he's making jump shots, you know, but he you make the Golden State extend. They had better matchups against LeBron with Draymond out, um, especially now. Like it's it's pretty interesting to. Uh, to speculate the center position because of the Bogut thing, and then do you start Draymond? Um, you know the other options outside of Draymond, outside of uh, Bogut. They don't trust Festus Ezeli. Nope. Space was got Space was freaking awful. God awful. On McAdoo, defense, like, yes. Yes, uh, Mcadoo. Okay, sure. Awesome. Varajal, yeah. Nice. Um, sorry, but you know, when LeBron or Kyrie are resting on the bench, I think that's when you take on, um, or space or whatever and give them minutes. Um, because you don't want to give LeBron this big present of a space or an Azalea who LeBron can attack traditionally and get super comfortable and in his rhythm, you know what I mean?
1: Yep, exactly. And that's that's the exact thing. Like So when Dave is working with a player, I'm sure you practice, you know, if you're working with a guard, you practice, okay, you're going to come off a screen and here's your footwork and you're going to step into this jumper because that's a, something that happens against most NBA defenses. That's something mm-hmm. you practice. All of a sudden, when Golden State switches everything, they switch. And instead of that typical shooting pocket of stepping in, you know, left-right or right-left or whichever way you're going, and that that typical footwork, instead it's Draymond Green standing in front of you, now you've got to go one-on-one again. Or, like, if you're Mm -hmm. Andre Iguodala and you're one-on-one isolated on LeBron, and you know that all of a sudden that rim protection is not behind you, that Draymond provides, you're going to give a couple extra inches of space. And so LeBron's got a clear view of the basket and he's got more confidence to step in that it's not going to be a good contest if Iguodala leaps out at him. So it, to me, it's a direct, uh, direct line back to Draymond, not to mention from a communication standpoint he's their best communicator defensively. So, you know, you look at what what Kyrie did even, you know, how many of his threes were pull-ups in transition that Draymond might've been back shouting it directions and getting everybody organized. Like to me, almost not, you have to give these guys credit for hitting the shots. They still have to go out and do it. But when it comes to their performances, I can draw so many direct lines back to Draymond. It's not even funny.
2: I know, I know. But in, what's funny is guess who's number two on the communication line? Bogut. Exactly. <laughs> so that will be extremely interesting to see what's, what's up with him. Because um, that's, I mean, you just took out in the last game two of the strongest voices on that team. And you saw the effect of it.
1: Yeah. So when we talk about these players getting rhythm and the things that they practice, I'll I'll say for me, Dave, like when I go you know, put up shots or whatever and just, you know, you're working on your game. One of the hardest things to do when you're by yourself, you know, most most your average pickup player, if they work on their game ever, isn't going to have like a team of rebounders and, you know, mock defenders and all that kind of stuff. But, but to get shots and practice what you're doing at game speed, like what would you tell your average pickup player who's trying to improve and, uh, you know, need, you obviously need to practice at game speed to be able to then go out and play, even if it's just with your friends or in a Thursday night pickup game, you know, to, to be able to perform the things that you practice. This
2: is my well, I'm trying I, to get free advice.
1: <laughs> pretty much. No, that's great. I, I love it. Um, I
0: I think the first thing that you need to look at is you need to understand why you're missing. And that's where a, uh, a shooting coach comes in. Are you just not comfortable shooting at that tempo or does that tempo expose your physical, uh, mechanical flaws in your, in your jumper? Do you grip the ball wrong? Do you have terrible balance? Um, are you just not able to stop, uh, bad energy that's created within your shot? If you, uh, If you have one of those flaws, and everybody does to a certain extent, you're lowering the ceiling of how good you could be potentially. And then practicing more at game speed will improve your ability within that ceiling, but it won't ever raise the ceiling. So the first thing that I do is is try and correct the physical and mechanical flaws so that we can raise the potential of that ceiling as high as possible, and then... Learn to become comfortable within the speed and tempo and being off balance and getting balance back and all those other things that happen within the uh, the course of the game. So there's really two distinct phases in my mind, correcting the mechanical and then learning to execute the mechanical at speed and distance.
1: Because that's something we see in co- I mean to me the best example of this we see this with college players and we, you know you hear about adjusting to game speed um Nick Stauskis, his rookie year was awful from three and if you put this guy out there um you know fellow Canadian for you Dave if you put this guy out there Yeah,
0: it's to probably too polite that's probably probably the story too much
1: yeah I mean he he I think <laughs> I've seen him shoot like 90 out of a hundred I think was one of the ones you know he'll, he'll just make like 90 shots out of 100 from three with nobody on him and he gets out in the NBA and this is a guy that's a 40% shooter in college and he's shooting 25% in his rookie year. He just it, When it came to the speed translation of trying to get that shot off in the course of an NBA game, something happened to his mechanics um, or his mental state. I mean because that's something you could talk about too. The mental confidence of shooting um, that just didn't allow him to perform at the level he was capable of. You know,
0: yeah, that, do, 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 do. Was, go ahead, Kayla.
2: Sorry. So that's, to, to piggyback off that, Like that's why I think Steph Curry has gotten to be so good, because if you remember under Mark Jackson, what did he let Steph do? Uh, everything. It was yeah. Steph's couple first years in, in the league, it was like you, he could go miss half-court shots, at uh, side three, he, he could miss anything, and Mark Jackson didn't do anything. That instilled confidence in Steph, that not a lot of players uh, have that uh, luxury of having a coach that's going to be like, it's okay. I'm not going to bench you after you do that. You could screw up, screw up, screw up, screw up, and it was fine.
1: And by the way, he did the same thing with Draymond. Like, look, we're going to mm-hmm. let you shoot threes because we realize that you need to start making these to unlock our offense.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. The, uh, one of the comments that I remember uh, uh, most is um, – just in talking with uh, Steve Kerr when I worked for the Phoenix Suns and he said one of the hardest skills for players to learn coming out of college is when to shoot and when to pass. And you think, well, Mm -hmm. that's that's absolutely transferable from one level to the other, but it's really not uh, just because of the pace of the game. And now you've taken a guy who's completely comfortable um, with, their shooting mechanics and their belief in themselves and you're adding in just a little doubt of, is this the right time? Should I be shooting in this situation? Uh, that, that can mess with players' heads and uh, add in to that all these other things, that, that, that little extra doubt, and, uh, and that, can, that can affect a great shooter for, for a period of time.
1: All right, so we've been going for about almost half an hour, I, I'd say, because we, you know, we said that was about how long we want to go. Do you guys each say have a topic that we want to toss around the round table real quick, and then we'll call it call it a show?
2: I kind of want to hear hear Dave uh, talk about Clay. I mean, Steph, yeah, but but look what Clay is doing, and and why it's working from an X and O's standpoint. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty interesting how. The Cavs haven't really figured out exactly how to guard the slip. Um, because the Warriors, are like, okay, Clay, when does he ever, ever set an on ball screen? And actually mean to set it? Never, of course.
1: No, they just so kind of, Steph it, and Clay just run past each other. And it causes exactly. mass confusion because it's the, the fear of God instilled in the defense.
2: Exactly. So when he goes to set a quote unquote on ball screen, when it looks like that, it never really is that. He always flips out, and then if you don't know how to guard the slip you give up open shots. So I think that's a pretty interesting topic. How are the Cavs going to get it together and uh, teach themselves how to guard that action? I have no idea.
0: Uh, I'm not personally going to speak uh, to that. That's not my forte on how to... Uh... Uh, how to guard a, a particular action, uh, but I will say, like, Clay Thompson, everybody asks me, probably the most common question I get is, uh, who has the best technique in the NBA? And, uh, and Oh, you say Clay? Oh, no question. And oh, wow. It might, be, it might not even be close. Uh, I just, I, no, I haven't seen him up close in person. Like, I, with my job, I'm able to be within – Know, 10 feet of, of these guys, I haven't seen him from that distance in person. We can get kind of fooled, but uh, from what I've seen, he's just he's near perfect.
1: One of the things that I think is interesting about Clay's technique, he's got a wider base than a lot of players. Is that something that you like from a balance standpoint, um, as opposed to yeah. like staff whose feet are actually pretty close together?
0: Uh, almost every single player that I work with at any level, I, I'll have to say I want your feet wider. And I'll, I'll accept a little bit less width than I teach. But, uh, but generally, the, the example I give is forget basketball. And imagine yourself in the back row of a volleyball game with a ball about to be spiked at you. And imagine how you would stand. You'd be low with your feet probably wider than you would shooting a basketball now imagine you're a soccer goalie and the ball is, uh, is a penalty shot and the ball is being kicked at you. How are you going to stand? You're going to stand with your feet fairly wide apart. Mm-hmm. And we go through tennis returning a serve or just standing in tennis. You're going to have your feet wide apart. You're going to be ready, active, and uh, strong, powerful, balanced, engaged, all these different words. And for some reason, when we teach shooting a basketball, in general we teach a less athletic position than in every other athletic endeavor we ever use. And so I, I try and stress to people, don't think about shooting a basketball. Think about doing a squat. It's strong and it's powerful and it's balanced. That's the position that we want to be in. And I look at uh, Clay's feet, and that is almost exactly what I would teach. Uh, the other one is uh, Steve Nash shooting free throws. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those are the kind of feet, the, the, the perfect feet. For what I would want a player to look like when they shoot.
1: Another one that comes to mind, Dirk.
0: Yes. He's got a,
1: a little that. pitch and toad.
0: Yeah. Um, which will then sort of take away the power within the uh, the feet. But uh, but yeah, generally he's pretty wide and strong about it. And you see all these funny little drills that uh, his shooting coach will have him do.
1: Yep.
0: Uh And they're all geared toward getting balance. And then you'll see other trainers who've seen that drill and think, well, I'd like to use that drill, but they use it wrong. They use it to practice being off balance, when the drill should be used to practice getting back on balance.
1: That's interesting. I do a
0: lot of stuff around balance to get players really off balance and then expect them to get back on quickly. And that's a skill that we have to learn. It's not learning to shoot an uh, unbalanced shot. It's learning how when you are unbalanced to get as balanced as possible. Oh, that's really
1: interesting. I think that's something that Steph, despite his narrower base, actually is pretty good at too. Like when you see him take some of these shots, and especially if you can get the slow-mo of his upper body, like he's completely gets square to the basket, is on balance. Even if his lower body is twisting, he just has an ability to kind of center himself um, that makes him an excellent, tough shot maker. Um, Real quick on the X's and O's side of it, Kaylee, you know, with Clay and that slip screen, like, isn't it as simple as communicating? Like you've got to have a plan. Well, it's one, it's communicating, but two, it's it's planning. Like this is they do this a lot. This is how we're going to guard it. So do it. Like sometimes the answer is just being better.
2: Yeah, I mean, if only it were that simple. With the you know, you've got the Cavs are, are, are an interesting bunch, right? Because you have these like all stars, and especially like. Kevin Love, who now has to be option number three, who's used to being option number one, you know, there's a lot that goes into that mentality of that team that people don't take into account. Um, Because you can look at it and say, oh, well, from the outside looking in face value, it's like, oh, we all-star here, all-star here, all-star here. Like, why is LeBron complaining about his supporting cast? Well, sometimes all-stars are all-stars and they don't communicate in the way together that they would if they were to have their own team so that to me is kind of their biggest issue um but to speak on kevin love i mean i'm waiting for kevin love to be kevin love like i
1: i'm waiting for (laughs) kevin love to be channing fry like he had two points last game
2: (laughs) two yeah you know you you know they're trying to hide him on iggy and barnes and you You know, you get dragged as a pick and roll by Harrison and Iggy setting screens for Curry, but they aren't the playmakers that Draymond is, you know. I just I I don't know. I don't he's he needs to kinda put on his big boy pants and it's like watching basketball inertia right now. There's no moment where kevin love has just said guess what i'm kevin freaking love and i'm an elite rebounder and i'm a great player he's just like you know oh very better than me all of a sudden yeah like very Zhao was, was killing him there's Zhao. like yeah put that into perspective
1: the psyche thing is crazy all right dave do you have a, a topic that is interesting to you that you want to toss out before we uh we call it a wrap here
0: uh, I'm gonna let you go because I forgot to think about that while all uh, you guys are chatting. So, do you, do you oh, have I've one? already,
1: I've already kind of tossed out um, the stuff that I want to get to. Um, I mean, the, the kid here, here's one, here's one that I'll toss out, and this can be answered um, both from an X's and O's perspective and from a skill development perspective how do you, you know, even at the NBA level, developing consistency and, and consistency of habits? Um, is that something, how can, you know, how much is that talked about um, amongst players, amongst coaches and players and, you know, a team like the Warriors, like you don't go 73 and nine, unless the things that you want to do are a part of your being a part of the fiber of who you are. So from a skill development standpoint, how do you develop consistency um, and then from X's and O's, like, really instilling in your players, you know, when you've heard different coaches talk, Kaylee, like, really making sure that, that night to night, everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing.
0: From my yeah. perspective, I, uh, I find, like, this, this is where I live, like, this is uh, to develop some consistency with something that you're not consistent with, and, uh, and, and, for me, it's just repetition, 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 and starting it slowly as you need to start to be able to do this thing well and then find some consistency with it and then slowly build that towards game speed. And what I find a lot of uh, coaches teaching shooting, uh, the mistake that they make is thinking that I can just tell a player the mistake and then tell them to go do it at game speed and they'll be able to do that because my words were magical and <laughs> <Right. laughs> so they're not magical the I don't know man, the- you do work for the
1: Orlando franchise magic, I think that if yeah. anyone's words to magical, it's be you to this. Yeah, conspiracy theory you are the <laughs> magic but, uh, shooting coach
0: but uh, yeah and, uh, so slow it down and, and find where that area where, the, where you make your mistake is Goes so slowly as you need to to do it correctly and then speed up and that can take months and what I've learned over the the last years of of, of doing this as a profession is just the patience that comes along with it and, and there's no templates there's no uh there's no set path on on how to do it. you're constantly adjusting and testing and regressing and progressing and all those things just to try and make this habit something that you can do without thinking.
2: Yeah. I mean, from X's and O's standpoint, it's it's hard to say this against the Warriors, right? Because, like, they can morph into so many different shapes. Like, there, everyone on that team is an asset, essentially. Like, there's no one that's uh, – oh, well,
1: no. they trust. I mean, they trust to appoint to... everyone on that roster. Like
2: exactly, they
1: they have guys that have been inactive in this series, and and then a game later played meaningful minutes.
2: Right. So what? I, like, especially when you have a team like the Cavs, they're it, they're so marginalized. Like, it's easier to defend when it's just LeBron and Kyrie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think the Warriors are so they can they're an amorphous target like they're just everywhere but when it's LeBron and Kyrie it's easier to get consistent against that because they are consistent um not to say not to discredit LeBron or Kyrie whatsoever but you know it's 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 a lot harder to get consistent against a team like the Warriors who can take it from so many different angles whereas you know the Cavs you kind of know what you're dealing with every possession
1: To me, the thing with consistency from an X's and O's standpoint is two things, selflessness and belief. And I think the best examples of this are the Warriors and the Spurs. And if you want to go back even farther, I mean, you can definitely go back to, I mean, the Bulls, even with, you know, with Michael and Scotty and everybody, like they were selfless enough to believe in the system that Phil Jackson was running and like they didn't navigate or they didn't stray from the, uh, from the triangle. Like they did their thing. The, the Lakers of the eighties had their, their style of play and they were going to stick with it. I think when you look around the NBA, a lot of guys now when things get tough, they'll go back to isolation ball. Cause they've grown up playing AAU and that's how they've always played. And you know, with the Warriors, like they never stopped, moving the ball. I think Steph in particular, when, you know, he gets a mismatch, like what, what happens when a player gets a mismatch, they it's like, give me the ball and I'm going to attack. And whether they've got a smaller player in the post or a, you know, it's a guard's got a big on him outside. It's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to attack the mismatch in the most simple way possible. Steph will get a center on him and then run him off three screens. And he he just trusts and has a belief in the system and and the selflessness of his teammates that he's going to get that ball back in a better position. And so Uh I, I think the consistency, it just goes to, like, is that who you are as a team? And then on the defensive end, same thing. Like, the communication for the Warriors, that's who they are. For the Cavs, it's not. And so here we are going into game six, and they still can't figure out that slip screen with Clay, and they still can't, you know, figure out the split cuts because just communicating on that level is just not who they are. There isn't this belief that it's going to work if they just do it every single time. Right. And, and
0: that word, uh, and that word, trust, that you kept using, is really the uh, the biggest word in it because you're, the the Warriors and the Spurs, they do trust each other, and you, it's it's hard to teach that to one person, and then to think we have to teach it to one person times fifteen, yes. And They all need to have that belief in everybody else here, that, and in what we're doing, um, and that's just so hard to do in a, in any
1: kind of group. And it's so much right. easier to do though if your best player is all in on it. If you know that's right. how the Spurs have done it for 20 years because Duncan's like, no, this is what we're doing. You know, the Lakers were able, and, and the the Bulls were able to play the triangle because Kobe and Michael were like, yeah, we're doing the triangle thing. Um, you right. Know, and Steph is obviously that way with the Warriors.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: All right, Dave. Did you think of a topic or?
0: You, uh, I wanted to kind of go in a, a, a different direction entirely away from basketball and get your guys' opinion on uh, social media and uh, and the way it's used within sports. I'm just going to leave it at that and see which direction do you guys run with it.
2: Is it. Like players or media
0: or... Well, okay, what's what's your biggest pet peeve within social media? Let's do that.
2: Oh, oh my God. Uh, uh, there's so many things. But my biggest pet peeve probably is, like, we're talking too much about nothing, and it's just this mass amount of crappy tweets, crappy literature, no offense, well, whatever. But
1: <laughs> it's, it's all you it's, need to like, be offended.
2: It's, 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 well, it's, I mean, you're, you're paid to do a job where you know, you're in a, in a field where so many people want to be in this field. And there are a lot of people that have been working their butts off, like learning the game in film rooms that would like to be, have a voice in the media or whatnot. And um, a lot of knowledgeable people. And then you've got these people on platforms that are like, oh, well, what's a different way that I can phrase something that's been said a million different times. And then you've got the people who speak about the game in such, broad term that it just fills your timeline or your feed or whatever with, I have so many people on mute and I only follow, I don't even follow 200 people. Like it's ridiculous.
1: I I would say, I, I follow like 2000, but I got, I, every once in a while I just want to go back in and like figure out how many of them are like not people that I should be following. And I've, I've tried to actively unfollow a lot of people but I just go, I don't want to read your stuff. I don't care about your opinion. But like I follow a lot of players and things like that. And I've been on Twitter for a long time. So I've kind of mounted it up. Um, I would say this, like kind of piggybacking and summarizing what Kaylee said. My biggest gripe is that it kind of, it puts everybody on an equal playing field with what they're going to say. And, and I'll, too many people use Twitter, social media in general. And this goes to sports and non-sports to talk instead of listen like mm-hmm. what i think what makes twitter great is that it gives us access to all of these voices but not enough people realize which ones you should be listening to so like the 100%. find find the smart people and listen like don't you don't have to have an opinion like there are days where i'll go on twitter and not tweet anything but i'll be i'll spend a lot of the day on it just perusing and reading different mm-hmm. articles or listening to people's opinions because they know more <laughs> And I think that's what makes Twitter great is it's this place to find a lot of knowledgeable people. Unfortunately, it, there is no filter and that you might have to get through a lot of unknowledgeable people who are spewing thoughts and ideas on things that they don't know about in order to, to find the smart stuff, you know, buried in between.
2: Right, right. It is really difficult to find those people. There's only, I, I could tell you, there's like, I could count on one hand, people that i'm like oh your basketball opinion means a lot to me or i I actually take that in Um, and honestly three of them are not in the media they're scouts that i really respect their work so it's tough it's tough um to find those people because a lot of you have to remember the people that are in the media that are talking about basketball are not trained usually in basketball. They're usually journalist majors, like journalism majors, right? You know, like they go to school. Well, it depends. Are you
1: talking about, you know, people like, look, I'm in that mold. Like I've made it a point that I've tried to learn as much about the game as possible, but that definitely I would say is is not usual that most people just like, oh, I'm a fan and I know how to, you know, I know the journalism thing, Um, but like there's plenty of analysts out there, you know, who used to work in front offices or as coaches or whatever.
2: Right. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Of course there's, I mean, usually you're on TV analysts are former players right. or coaches, but uh, as far as social media, like not, not TV, like social media, which is just like this mm-hmm. regurgitated crap. That's not, not so much knowledgeable. And it's, in fact, the people that I, their basketball pins that I respect wholeheartedly, they don't tweet that much. They, they, they maybe tweet like once or twice a game, to be honest with you. They don't, Yeah, I, I would rather pay for their articles or, you know, look at their scouting reports.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think that one of the most, or actually I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Like you ask like, what do you, what do you think of social media? I think most people don't know what they don't know. You know, for me yeah. this year, I, I, Dave, you, you know, and Kaylee, you probably don't know this, you know, if you're listening to this podcast because you follow my stuff, you probably do. But, like, I was a football beat reporter, and one of the biggest things I did were was film breakdowns with Chris Cooley. He used to play for the Redskins and worked with me at the radio station I was working at. I learned so much about football this past year and realized that there are so many things that happen on every play that the average fan has no clue about and really what it was is as much a lesson in what I didn't know as what I did and so on a given play like it's hard to say oh that's this person's fault unless you know what they were supposed to do so like for some people will probably listen to this and go oh Dave you're such a pansy for not giving your opinion on Steph's shot but as you said you don't know what he's working on you don't know what he's trying to do so trying to evaluate whether or not he's been successful is quite literally impossible
0: yeah, when did it become a bad thing to say, you know, that's not really my job? Um, and, and Twitter seems to be a situation where everybody feels like they need to be the expert yep. in order to gain more followers or whatever it is. Well, if, if something's not my area of expertise, I'm, I'm going to try and listen more than I'm going to try and talk. And, right. and I love the way that you said the uh, uh, people don't know what they don't know. Like, that's such a big Things. If you've never, if you've never stood within five feet of an NBA player, uh, you can't talk about their mechanics. You've never seen them. You right. Don't, you don't know what is what is happening, so I, I right. don't understand the, the need to. And what I love the engagement between people on social media, but what frustrates me is just this need to be contrarian. And to yes. point out,
2: right,
0: uh, and to disagree with everything you, it's right, just a, a choice of words where you know what the person meant, or you know the the that there's going to be exceptions to, to the rule, but you're just going to point out every single exception.
2: Right, right, and you know, I I don't know if you know Dave, but uh, I mean not Dave, Craig. Uh, Dave is fantastic at his job he's uh, i've heard so many positive things about him from aaron gordon and uh, he aaron is very uh, uh he's one of the people that's really obsessed with basketball he's, you can tell the kid loves the game he's obsessed with yeah. getting better he's not he's not one of those kids that's like oh I, like i'm in mean, it for the money or he loves the fame like he's obsessed with his craft so for him to trust someone with his shot and and talk about it the way he talks about Dave is on another level. So Dave, like when, if he posts something about shooting, I would listen to Dave because I know Dave is, I've seen him in the gym with Aaron, you know, he's, he's there. He flies out to Santa Barbara where Aaron stays. He's in the, he's there (laughs) right next to Aaron, right next to these shooters. Um, And it's funny to watch people on Twitter like I, there's a a couple accounts that actually have quite a large following, um, but they just make YouTube videos and and whatever, and uh, they talk about shooting, but you've never seen them really do it <laughs> in practice. Yeah, They're just it's like an
1: amateurs, best guess. But, and that, and that's but kind of, they
2: have larger followings,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, right, and, but, and, and the the ideas can be as simple as well, just do what Steph does. And the yeah. you know, understanding of, uh, well, wait a second, we're not stiff. Right. We, right. we don't have these inherent gifts that he has. And if you want the analogy that I keep using for shooting basketball is, is basically we're counting cards in Las Vegas. And you're just going to do whatever you can to increase the odds that you're going to win this next hand of blackjack. And... Mm. But even if you do everything right, there's no guarantee that you're going to win that hand. Everything, right. every little habit is just trying to stack the odds just a little bit more in your favor. And uh, I feel like a lot of things are being taught on YouTube channels are, that are saying, hey, let's just mimic what the great shooters are doing. Are actually, These are mistakes that these players are, m- are making, but right. they're talented enough within the mistakes to to get away with it. And, and that guy, that band, even though they didn't split the aces or, or do these things when you have an 18 and the dealer has such and such,
1: you know, and that goes to the knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know. Sure. There could be a tip or two that you could take from a YouTube video like that, that helps. But you know, it, as you said, everyone's an individual. And, and if you really are, you know, a high school player or whatever, that's trying to make that leap and get to an elite level, you need that expertise that someone like Dave has to really fine-tune your shot because a YouTube video can't talk to you because it can't see you and your shot or whatever skill it is that you're trying to work on.
0: Right. Cool. That's good stuff. Quickly, Thank you for the nice things that you said.
2: <laughs> oh, of course. Well, I mean them.
1: Any more sucking up right. anyone wants to do? No, I, I did. think that covers nope. it for me until next time. All right. Yeah. Uh, This has been fun and entertaining and educating on a lot of levels. So thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it.
0: My My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Call it a wrap. Hope everybody enjoyed that. I certainly did. Learned a lot. Really educational on top of entertaining um, there from both Dave, Kaylee, and hopefully I brought up some interesting things myself. Um, If you want to follow me on Twitter, at Craig Hoffman, C-R-A-I-G-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. Kaylee is at Kaylee Brandt, K-A-I-L-E-I-G-H. Get both those eyes in there, K-A-I-L-E-I-G-H. Brandt, uh, she's at Kaylee Brandt, and then at Coach Dave Love. If you want to follow Dave uh, with some really good tips uh, on player development and skill training and all that good stuff, you can check out the link to his website and his Twitter bio as well. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Subscribe if you like uh, and on iTunes or to the blog. Just go to the blog page at hoffmanshow.com, and there's easy buttons to do all of that. That's it. That's all for this edition of the Hoffman Show. I'll be writing tomorrow on Game 6 tonight, so check that out, and we will return with uh, more podcasts next week. Thanks. That's all. Goodbye. <laughs>